Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Is closed and another one begins. Amen. What is your desire this week? Hopefully, to walk through the doors God opens and not walk through ones He doesn't open. You think about the next, uh, we've got, what is the days of 26? We have less than 30 days, basically, until Christmas time. We have 30 days reflection, reflect on the hope that Christ brought, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the joy that Christ bought, and the love. Don't ever forget this. If it wasn't for God, we would have no ability to love. And until you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot love. You cannot truly love. I shared this story. I want to share it really quickly again because I think it really resonates in that fact. There was a woman that worked. She was actually, she worked for the convention, the Tennessee Baptist Convention, and been there many years. And her husband, real nice guy, uh, he happened to, I happened to run into him one day, had a, had a, a meeting with him. And um, it was an opportunity I had because he was admittedly not a believer. Had this godly wife, I mean, as godly as any woman would ever want to be, and as godly as any man would ever want his wife to be, with a man who was completely lost. And I said to him, I said, so you love, I said her name. Yes, I do. He said, I would do anything for her. And I said, you love her unconditionally? He said, I, I do. And I said, I have a question for you. If your wife came home tonight and told you that she'd been having affairs with multiple people all over the county, you'd forgive her, wouldn't you? And I'll never forget, as he looked at me, he had this, this literally the color ran from his face. And I said, you just told me you loved her unconditionally. And then was he able to understand that he could not love her unconditionally. Because the only way that you can love someone and forgive a multitude of sins if they're repentant is if they are experiencing as a person the love of Christ. We can't love unconditionally. The only way we can love apart from Christ is with spoken or unspoken set of standards or conditions with which, again, either spoken or unspoken, hey, I'm going to love you, but I expect this, I expect that. Only a person who is a regenerate follower of Christ, now listen, yielded to the power of God because how easy it is, even as Christians, to put a standard on others that is in any way biblical. And we will conditionally, as long as you behave, as long as you this, that's not what Christ says. When the Bible talks about forgiving 70 times 7, what does that mean? That's in a day. That's not even in a lifetime. That's talking about in a day. What that was basically saying in the Scripture is, when Jesus said that, you know what he was saying? Limitless is the forgiveness of God. How can we do that? We can only do that in the power of God, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and experience the love of God. And as I say to you often, I understand more and more when they were getting ready, when they said, hey, get a stone this woman and that is, a, is basically sexually promiscuous. 
And then what did Jesus say? As he was out, the sin cast the first stone. Starting with the older, they walked away one by one. And then Jesus is standing there with her. Where are your accusers at? Paraphrasing. Where are they? What did they realize? They themselves deserved exactly what she was going to be given. It's only through Jesus Christ are any of us, any of us, not tonight subject to being cast into hell, lost and without hope. So I hope you continue to marvel in the beauty of everything that the, the Advent season represents. Tonight, we have hope because of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to look tonight, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to look at a story tonight that I would say everybody in here is well aware of. It's a story that you hear as a child many times in the flannel graph, little Sunday school uh, lessons that you hear as a child. But the, tonight's message is, died for righteousness. Now remember, we're looking at, at pictures of Christ. This is a little bit of a picture of Christ uh, in one of the senses that we'll look at tonight. But we're going to see a man that died tonight for doing the right thing. We've seen people die for doing the wrong thing, amen? We hear about it quite often, don't we? We hear about justice delayed, right? You've been convicted. There's no question that you took somebody's life. The DNA is there. Everything's there. How many of those people die of old age in prison? What is the old saying? Justice denied is what? No justice at all, right? We know that in places like Thailand, what do you do in Thailand? Do you, if you're in Thailand, are you going to go steal somebody's lawnmower? Are you going to steal their cell phone? If you know anything about Thailand, you won't do that. You know why? If you're in Thailand and you see somebody that's missing an extremity, there's not a birth defect. When you do that there, they'll cut your hand off. They don't play around with that. It's the same way that in places like United Arab Emirates, Dubai, uh, places like that, they don't play around with punishment for actions. And therefore, in many places around the world, in Thailand, I know this was years ago, it might be a little different now, but people didn't even lock their doors. They didn't need to. Because the, the instance of people doing that was so rare, it's not like in our country today. I remember when I was a child, you could leave your doors unlocked. The likelihood of something happening to you was very small. I was in a little town in Alabama to see someone here a couple months ago. And <clears throat> I pulled in, a person was going to meet me at a church parking lot. So I meet them at the church parking lot. A little while later, an elderly man comes up, really nice fella. And I said, you probably think that, you know, I'm sketchy because I'm from out of town or I don't look in place here. I'm a pastor from Tennessee. I'm a meeting a, a person here, uh, here in just a little bit. And he proceeds to be really kind, has a conversation with me, says, hey, if you need anything, got snacks in there, you know, got drinks, you can use the bathroom, you know, and I'm not thinking anything about it. I'm thinking he's there, he can open the building. So waiting a little while longer, the person was later than they were supposed to be. So I told one of the people with me, I said, hey, uh, you know, they said you need to go to the bathroom. Go ahead and go in there. They went in, the, hey, the door was unlocked. Not only did they have a plethora of drinks and snacks in there, that homemade cakes in there. I loaded them all up and brought them all home. I'm just joking. I didn't eat any of that. That would have been extremely uh, 
not well-bred, right? To do something uh, like such, I wouldn't have done that. But it made me smile. You know why? Because in this little town in Alabama, the house of worship was able to be what a house of worship should. It should be able to be opened. Longview used to be like that. Many people don't know that. Longview used to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. One night, somebody decided that they wanted to come in and help themselves to the equipment in Longview Baptist Church. And that wasn't good enough either, Where was it? Was that when they expelled the fire extinguishers inside the building? Yeah. And it's sad because that's what sin does. Sin ruins all of the beautiful things that God's creation was intended to be. The beauty of the Garden of Eden was stained permanently in one momentary instant. That's why I think it's so imperative for us to remember, because you know the tendency is, if I decide that I want to do something, and let's just say I'm talking to you, and I say, you know what, I want to go out and do this, man. You know, my wife ain't acting right, and I want to go do this or do that. And you know, instead of, you know, saying, wait, I don't think you should do that. You go, you know, I understand that, man. Hey, I, I, I'd do that too. You deserve a little freedom or a little this or a little that. To believe that we can do that and it not affect one another is to partake in an, an, an errand of fools. I say that because think about this analogy. Every one of us tonight at Longview Baptist Church are in a pond, let's just say spiritually, washed in the blood of Christ. We are all in a pond together. To think that your actions or my actions do not fundamentally affect one another is to say we all have rocks. And let's just say, the, for, 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 this, for argument's sake, sin is manifested as a rock. We all decide, right? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to participate in whatever. And it's none of your business what I do. Take that and throw it up in the air in that pond. And when it comes down and hits that water, to believe that it's not going to affect anyone is to say those waves are not going to touch anybody in the water. There's nobody that's in that pond that's not going to feel the ripples of that action, are they? So we need to realize that when somebody lovingly comes to you and says, hey, I'm concerned about you. I've been seeing that, you know, you're, you're withdrawing or this, whatever it is. You know, the, you know the indicators for that. People change fundamentally when sin is able to take root in us. The number one thing we do is what? What is the first indication? start withdrawing. We start backing off. We start missing more and more. We stop answering the calls. We stop answering the texts. Why? Because to remain in that state, we have to isolate ourselves. Because when we don't want to deal with it and confess that sin and be restored in fellowship with the Lord, we have to stay away from people who remind us that what we're engaged is is counterproductive to the kingdom, is sinful, and will bring pain and consequences on our life. That's one of the reasons that God established the body of Christ. Now, did God say, you know what, we're going to build a building and we're going to call it a church? No. What did he establish in, the, in Acts? We've seen this, the ecclesia, the, the home church is how it started out. It started out in people's homes. And what happens, though, when you spend time, when Scripture talks about not forsaking the assembly, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, or 10, 25. Don't forsake the assembly as some are in the manner of doing, 
spur one another on to love and good deeds as we see the day approaching. One of the important things about the assembly is in the biblical times, you know how often many of them met? Scripture says they met together daily. They broke bread together daily. They were of one heart. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's one of the scriptures about that talks about it. But they were breaking bread together. You know that's an important thing to do. If you have the opportunity to go and eat with a brother or sister in Christ, meet together for breakfast or lunch or dinner if you can do that. It is really an awesome thing to do. Do you know why? Because you develop deeper, more intimate relationships with one another. You get in each other's space, meaning not in an invasive way, but you are spending time with them and you're showing them. Like last Sunday, it's great. We can eat together. It's a, it's a, a less formal time together and you're able to deeper develop those relationships with one another. Those are imperative for us, especially if you're a person that tends to be a loner. Those of you who tend to be loners, I want to encourage you, fight the urge to be a loner. I say that because Jesus sent the disciples out two by what? Two by two. We need one another. Nobody wins this. Nobody experiences victory when you try to do what we're doing alone. When we begin to get out and left field, when you have that fellowship of believers and you're plugged in, you're connected, they're the first ones that see that something's going on. And the people that love you are genuinely going to reach out to try to, to encourage you and find out what's going on. But as you try to pull away, there's, the old saying is, I, I say this to people, you want me to disciple you, I'll be glad to. You want to be in accountability, I'll be glad to. But you can only cut the line so many times that I have to let you go out to see. Anybody know what that means? You can push me away and push me away. I'll, I'll maintain for a while, but ultimately I'll let you set sail because I cannot be your conviction. I'm not a cult leader. I'm not here to make you do what God's word has called you to do. I can't make you do anything the same way that you can't make me do anything. Amen? But as we encourage one another, as we challenge one another in our walk with Christ, as we spur one another on to love and good deeds, iron sharpens iron. That's what we're able to do, and we're able to grow with each other, encourage each other, challenge one another. And I'll be honest with you, in the deep, meaningful relationships as a follower of Christ, you are going to find great fulfillment in that. You're going to have a more fulfilling relationship than you will ever have in your lifetime when you develop those. Because from the worldly context, why does the world like you? Oh, well, you have money, or you have prestige, or you have a big house, or you have a nice car. You have, you have some kind of benefit that they can achieve by being your friend. If they're a business owner, they can network with you. Why? Because they want to be connected to the people that you're connected to, which is going to give them a better business model with which their business is going to succeed or be taken to the next level. In the body of Christ, we're not here for money. We're not here for status. We're not here for prestige. You know why we're here? We're here because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to get anything out of you. I'm here to pour into you, as you, I hope, likewise are with me. We are walking arm in arm until the day we lay one another into the arms of Jesus, 
sharing how much I miss some of our saints that God has taken home. I think I was thinking about one last week. I just talked to his daughter just a little bit ago and told her how much I miss her dad and these great relationships and the blessing of the fellowship that God's given me with brothers and sisters who I said it's one of the hardest things for me. It breaks my heart when God takes them home. I know we all have our, the Bible says our days have been ordained before the foundations of the world. And it's so hard for me though because I love these people so much and my greatest wish most often is that I wish I'd have had more time. The person that I was talking to earlier, I said, you know, I remember saying to your dad how much I wish I had known him decades before. If anything, my greatest, my heartbreak with the relationship I had with this dear brother in the Lord was that I didn't have enough time. Amen? But those, that's what the body of Christ is for. So we can either allow that to be our mantra, meaning we can live out and be a part of the blessing of what this means, or we can isolate, we can keep everybody at arm's length. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna live the abundant life in Christ doing that. I promise you won't. As a matter of fact, you'll be robbed. You'll be robbed of that great blessing that God intended through the body of Christ. Now, what's the danger? I know what the danger is. The danger is that somebody with you trusting your heart with somebody, that they can hurt you. Brothers and sisters, I've experienced that more times in 15 years here than you'll imagine. But you know what I know? The blessing of all of those who haven't done that, who have been incredible friends, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, walking the abundant life and living the abundant life far outweighs the few who've hurt. And by the way, you don't hurt me. I'm not, I'm not of my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm the Lord's. And that's the way I look at it. The same way that somebody many years ago um, misused the financial, uh, uh, they did something for me and hurt financially. Many years ago, they outright just were in a thieving position. And uh, I called the person one day and I said, you know, I just want you to know, you didn't take anything from me. And I want you to know that. I said, I'm just telling you right now, I forgive you, and you don't owe me anything. I'm letting this go because everything that I have is the Lord's. And you've not taken anything from me. You took it from him. And I said, if anything, you just deal with that yourself spiritually, but you do not, under any circumstances, owe me anything. And that's the mindset that followers of Christ have to have. Because when we get to the place where that is our mindset, we realize that everything God has given us, our children, our husband, wife, family members, anything that God's given you, when you see it in the proper perspective, it all is nothing more than a means with which to glorify and honor Christ. So tonight, we're going to see a person that did the right thing, but yet somebody else didn't. And we're going to see that it ended up in murder. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. If you're able physically tonight, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. The man was intimate with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the Lord land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering 
some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. The Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. God, thank you for all that it does. It is living, breathing, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, thank you tonight that your word will speak to the very battles, the struggles, the encouragement, the challenge, Father. Pray tonight, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross, Lord, and move in hearts as only you can all over the globe tonight, that the gospel would go forth. May you bring a mighty harvest for the kingdom. May you alone be lifted up, glorified, and exalted. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Really neat, the parallel here in the sense of Abel's death, just like Christ, was due to righteousness. Abel didn't do anything wrong. He was actually a victim of someone else's sin the same way that Jesus was the victim of our sin. Cain's sin was laid on the back of Abel. Same way that Christ was with ours. Neat pictures as you see and we start moving through Scripture and seeing how these pictures and pointing to so many things. You're going to be blown away. At, there's hundreds of pictures of Christ, typologies, that go all the way through the Old Testament and literally picturing the picture of Christ coming and what Christ would do on the cross for us. Number one I want to share with you tonight is that this. God points at the atonement to come. God points at the atonement to come. What was the issue with Cain's sacrifice? Remember, he was a good gardener, right? Abel was one that raised cattle. Raised, he, he, he did well in what he did. Cain did well in what he did. Cain brought the best produce that he had. Wasn't his motivations sufficient? No. Why? God called for what in the offerings? Bloodshed. God didn't say, bring me the best of whatever you do. If you're a woodworker, bring the best looking woodwork to me because you're showing this sacrifice. No. Genesis, what do we see at the very what, two chapters before? Sin separated us from God, and the only thing that is able to atone for sin is bloodshed. Why? Why bloodshed? Because there's life in the blood. Really astounding, isn't it? So beyond comprehension in the not only sophistication of that and the profound reality of what it is, but also, honestly, the simplicity in it. 
when something dies, the lifeblood is spilled out. There is in the Israelites, when they're getting ready to come out of Egypt, what has to happen for God to pass over his chosen people? Blood on the doorposts. What was that significant? What did that signify? Shedding of blood. That the sacrifice had been made. The doorpost. You know what Christ Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection does, right? Christ Jesus on the door of our hearts. It is basically the Passover. God's wrath will not be laid upon us one day because Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb for us. Again, there's so much in Scripture. It gets me really excited when I think about it because it is profound. It's amazing in the understanding of it and all the things that God did. It's literally over and over and over again, God just showing us his grace and his mercy. How many times you think, all right, the garden was enough. How much more could God take? It took a whole lot more. How many times with the Israelites? Over and over. And by the way, not only Israelites, but what happens when they go in the promised land? Over and over. Can you count the number of times? I haven't. I would say someone has. The number of times that the Israelites, by the way, what did God do when they're getting ready to come into the promised land? Not only does he say, hey, by the way, paraphrasing, this is going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. You're going to have crops that are going to be amazing. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to bless your descendants. God just literally goes through this litany, this massive list of things that he's going to do in how he can bless his people. And basically all he says is, just worship me alone. That's all I'm asking you to do. The same way in the Garden of Eden, God basically says to Adam, I just want me to be all you need. I'm giving you everything. I'm fulfilling every need that you have. All I want you to do is let me be your God. It's mind-numbing. Now, I don't say that I would do, I probably would have eaten the fruit faster I mean, honestly, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to sit here and you know, take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. If anything, I would have done it quicker. It's the same thing as thinking, you know, Moses in the burning bush. God, if you'd just let me see a bush, I would do. I guess the Holy Spirit's just not enough. Amen? God manifests himself to us on a daily basis, but yet for us to walk in our faithlessness that we do probably rather often. Amen? the battles that we have and the desire, the desires of the flesh. And, you know, one of my biggest ones is, you know what, I'm going to sell everything and move to Costa Rica out there on the edge, right? Because remember, I could do greater ministry down there to people and these indigenous tribes, and right? And there's all these really good things I could do. And, you know, your health, because they give you a health coach down there that helps get you off of blood pressure medicines or any kind of medicines you're on because they take you the healthy route. All right, I mean, the health care is cheaper down there, so if you have trouble with your heart and stuff, and you can get uh, knee replacements and a whole lot cheaper. Because you know, we've got so many, we've got a church on every corner here in America, but they don't have that down there. And you know God would want, I mean, that, that would make me more spiritual, wouldn't it, going down there? 
Right? That's the lie. Step outside of God's plan and will for my life and right into a disaster. But that's just as sinful as walking out on your family. But see, because of the way we are, we don't classify it like that, do we? Oh, no, look at them doing drugs over there. That's, well, those are really bad people over there. Oh, my gossip, my slander. Huh? My compromise, my mind's not like theirs. I'm glad I'm not like them. We are so like that, though. Uh, was it Ch- Charles, Chuck Swindoll's The Respectable Sins? Right? How many sermons on gluttony have you ever heard a Southern Baptist preacher preach? One of my dear brothers in Christ, who's a Southern Baptist pastor, said that to me one day. And by the way, he was blessed. He was, he was a man about twice my size. And he just said, you know something? I've never heard a Southern Baptist preacher preach on gluttony. I said, I never thought about it. I guess not. That's the respectable. You know, those are things that we don't think about. We, we classify all these, all these bad ones. You know, oh, run off on your wife, run off on your husband, or this and that. Oh, no, you know, slandering your brother or sister, that ain't nothing. I mean, that's, you know, that's that. They deserved it anyways. It's easy for us to sit back and minimize ours and try to magnify others, right? You look at the scripture over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Here was God's chosen people. God says, listen, this is what I'll do. If you're faithful, I'll bless you. Exponentially, it just goes through all these things. But then he says, but. And then God goes through By the way, I'll curse your blessings. Paraphrasing again. He goes through this whole entire thing only for the Israelites to do what? Over, over, and over again. See, to me, that magnifies God's grace and his mercy and his desire that no one perish. It's powerful, isn't it? See, God points to the atonement to come. Even... And everything that we see throughout Scripture, we're seeing this right here. Abel died because Cain did the wrong thing. Jesus died because we did the wrong thing. It's so profound because he just extends this grace to Cain by what? Even after he kills him, Cain's like, I can't live like this. I can't live with this. It's just too much weight. What does God do? Puts a mark on him. You know what else he says? It's going to be perfect. It's going to be really bad. As a matter of fact, I can go down there here real quickly. He says, my punishment's too great in verse 13. It's my punishment is too great to bear. Since you're banishing me today from the face of the earth, I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me is going to want to kill me. Ready? Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. He placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Look at the picture of God's grace being extended to Cain in spite of his sin. Not deep. That is just, to me, a magnification of of the love, the grace, and the mercy of Christ. No matter where we've gone, no height nor depth, angels, principalities, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm thankful for that tonight. 
because there's not a person in this building. Now, we don't use this as a license for morality or a license to say, you know what, great, I'm so thankful that God's going to forgive me, so I'm going to go out tomorrow and I'm just going to be all in a, a big old mess so I can just pray and ask for forgiveness. I would encourage you not to do that. That's making a mockery of the Lord. We know what Scripture says. God cannot be mocked. It doesn't say might not, should not. It says he cannot be mocked. Those that sow to the flesh reap destruction. Those that sow the Spirit reap life everlasting. So I encourage you not to do it. Don't make a mockery of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the second thing I want to share with you tonight is this. You can pop up on the screen. Like Cain, we are shielded by God's grace. That picture of Cain having the mark put on him and God saying, hey, anybody who touched vengeance is over if they kill him. Really amazing though, because it seems as if you're seeing grace like never before because scripture we hear of what eye for an eye. It's almost as if he deserved that, but we see this extension of God's grace. A beautiful picture of the foretelling of the typology of what would ultimately come in Jesus. Pointing to Advent, what was coming, hope and the peace and the joy and the love that is in that center candle, the Christ candle. This is why I challenge and encourage you to get in God's word. There, this, God's word is so rich. The treasures of God's word are not only boundless and limitless, but it speaks to absolutely everything that we will ever confront in our lifetime. If anything else, maybe you are a rather moral person. I don't even, I, I use that term loosely, right? Uh, you know, somewhat moral person. You know, the, the Mother Teresa types that, you know, that people try to justify, oh, if anybody's going to heaven, it's her. No, no one. It is by grace we've been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? I don't care who it is. There was one sinless person, and that's who? Jesus. We see a person who was rather moral, And they died a rather unnatural death. Maybe avoided it. He walked with God and then was no more. That's the only clue I give you. Enoch, Enoch, Enoch. 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 Isn't it interesting you read that story? He walked with God and then he was no more. He was taken up. He just basically... But everybody else, besides Elijah and the chariot of fire, has experienced universally what phenomenon? Death. We're all going to experience that one day. And the only thing tonight that's going to shield us from the wrath of God is grace, God's unmerited favor. What is the extension of grace? that gives the unequivocal promise of shielding us from the wrath of God. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ exclusive. There's nothing or no one else 
It's so sad because I actually saw something the other day, and I don't know if it was a meme or whatever it was, but someone actually meant this in a serious way. It was someone who had died, and they were, they were basically laying their works in front of everybody and saying, you know, they've done this, and uh, most assuredly, this would outweigh the bad things that they've done. And I just, it just made me so sad because I don't know if that's just a Southern thing, but we have a real tendency in the South to, to trumpet, you know, well, they were a really good person. You know, they did a lot of good. They helped a lot of people. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Just peek your ears. That's all you got to do. All you have to do is listen. When someone's died or you're at a funeral or you're talking to somebody about someone, you'll most notably hear those words. You know, they really tried to help people. And I want to come back to reality and in every one of those circumstances go, what are you trying to say? Because it is a conversation worth having. What are you trying, uh, excuse me, maybe I'm off and maybe this is not the time. I'm not a person that, especially before I came to Christ, that knew the appropriate time to say anything. But to me, the appropriate time then is to say, what are you inferring? Are you inferring that they were a good moral person and that their works should be the justification for the ability to stand justified in the presence of God? Please tell me what you're saying. Because there's a danger that you're saying that in front of people that don't need to hear that because that is going to give them the false belief that we have the ability to be moral and to meet God's standard. And, oh God, there is nothing that in any way will give anyone the ability to stand justified in the presence of God apart from the substitutionary atonement of Christ Jesus because he's the only one that could meet the standard of God for us that required bloodshed for the redemption of sin. It's called substitutionary atonement. Jesus was substituted in our place. He died the death that we deserve. That is why I'm so profoundly in awe when I think of everything that this and that represents. Because of anyone who realizes it, I realize that I deserved hell and death and nothing more. And to think that God sent Jesus to die for me blows my mind. Because on my best day, I realize that there is nothing good that dwells in me apart from him. And I'm in awe of it. I'm in awe of it. I'm so thankful for it. I can't even tell you the times that I sit there in my subconscious prayer and say, God, I still am in awe. And the realization that I don't deserve any of it, and it just, it makes the gift of grace so precious to me. And I'm so thankful tonight as I wake up tomorrow that I can thank him once again for the gift of his grace, his unmerited favor, and his mercy, not giving me what I deserve. So thankful for it tonight. See, Abel died because he, he was righteous. Jesus died. He was righteous. He became sin for us 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. So tonight, you really grasp the basic understanding of what I'm saying. Tonight, as you boldly enter the presence of God, we are able to do that because the Son of God became the sin-filled object of God's wrath, meaning God laid that on Jesus, and he died in our place so that we could stand justified in God's presence. Abel died for his righteousness the same way that Jesus did. And I want to encourage you as you go into this week to reflect on that, to meditate on that. And I say that from the standpoint of God, and I'm saying this to you, God, give me the ability to see this gift of grace in a greater and more precious way, that I would treasure the gift of Christ and not in any way take it for granted see it flippantly as, well, you know, Jesus died for me. It's wonderful. No, to step back and say, God, your son died in my place. Father, thank you. Lord, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the dominion, Father. God, you created me. Every gift that I have is a gift from you to be used for the kingdom the expansion of the kingdom. God, give me the strength to operate in sharing with people the goodness of God, the gospel message. God, I'm not a people person. Whatever we might say and interject in that. God, I don't care what I don't have. In you, I am complete. Father, give me the ability to proclaim the truth of the, the righteousness of Christ boldly for the world. Lord, I realize that I may be the only Jesus some people ever see. Let me manifest and reflect a clear image of that, not in any way a distorted one. God, don't let me in any way deflect or distort that image, which is so easy to do. Father, give me clarity of mind, clarity of thought. As you ask me to share with the world what you have done in my heart, Lord, let me be faithful. God, not only let me be faithful, don't let me get the mindset that there comes a time in life when I can take a break spiritually and retire spiritually from kingdom work, because that's a big battle within modern day evangelical Christianity. It's time to pass it on to the youth. No, let me just tell you what it's time to do. It's time to run until you drop dead. That's what the gospel message calls us to do. Unless you are like the one disciple that gets to retire, and that was John on the Isle of Patmos after they tried to kill him numerous times. God sent him to Patmos in exile so that what? He could write Revelation. That is the only picture of retirement from the Lord's work that we see in the Scripture. And if that happens to you and God sends you out somewhere to write an amazing message after they tried to kill you numerous times that didn't happen, to God be the glory, amen? But until then, every one of us needs to be actively involved in the kingdom work until we cease to have a heartbeat. That means we are DRT, as policing called it, we called it dead right there. 
That means your heart stopped, you ran to the moment that God took you home, and you, by the way, were one moment standing in his, his uh, work as a follower of Christ, obedient to the call, and the next minute you stood there and went, wait, Lord, I was just serving you. Praise the Lord, here I am. Amen? Not having laid aside the gospel call, laid aside the ability for us to disciple, pray with, pray for, because all of these years that are squandered are years that could be investing in ways that you never even could as a young person. So I want to challenge you in that tonight. Hey, die in your righteousness one day, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, running that race to completion, faithful to the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, tonight for your word. God, thank you for the truth of it. God, thank you tonight as we're able to see this story with Cain and Abel, Lord, as Abel died because he was righteous. He had done what he was supposed to do. Father, I pray that each one of us will recognize, Lord, it is by grace we've been saved through faith, not of works, that we will be the ambassadors for the kingdom that you have called us to be. Lord, we'll stand firm in that gospel message, Lord, that offers hope, it offers life, it offers the gift of salvation by grace and through faith. And Lord, we are in awe of that, in wonder of the truth of the gospel. And Lord, as, as tonight we reflect on this time of Advent, the coming, God, thank you for the hope that we have, a hope that will not disappoint, a living, a lasting, and eternal hope. Father, go with, go with us into our mission fields, Lord, and let us be faithful. Let us run the moment that you take us home, faithfully that, that call, the race that we are in as followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified. We thank you above all for Jesus Christ, the death, throne, resurrection, and all that it means to us as followers of Christ. And Lord, may you alone be glorified. We ask this in the mighty name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Love you all. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.